Hello and welcome to this episode of the Enterprising Gen Z podcast. My name is Sam Watson and I'm an 18-year-old entrepreneur from North London. I'm also the founder and CEO of Enterprising Gen Z Events. We offer businesses a unique way of attracting an audience of Gen Z founders and entrepreneurs through events tailored towards your specifications, and at the same time creating events that empower that very same demographic. The networking events industry is ripe for disruption, and that's why we create the most unorthodox networking events on the planet. Probably. On today's episode, I'm talking to Jake Richings. Jake and I met at the Future Forward conference in Warwick, where I hosted a panel of young people to discuss the future of education and other subjects like how to encourage young entrepreneurs. Since connecting on LinkedIn, I found Jake's content really interesting. He wrote a lot about networking needing a rebrand. So we're going to discuss the issues associated with networking and some of the ways we can change the way it's done. Jake also interacts with loads of young entrepreneurs up and down the country. So we're going to have a chat about what traits they all have in common. If you do like this episode, please leave a five-star review wherever you're listening from. I hope you enjoy. Hi, Jake. How are you doing? I'm very well. Thanks, Sam. Yourself? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. Um, So we met, what was it, a couple of months ago um, at the Future Forward Conference in Warwick. And I hosted a panel where you were speaking about um, really topical subjects about education. Um, And I've seen you posting on your LinkedIn and stuff like that, some really interesting topics, which I'm definitely going to go into today. Um, But first of all, do you want to kind of introduce yourself to everybody else and say who you are and what you do? Yeah, absolutely. Um, But yeah, it was great to meet you last month at at Future Forward. Um, So I'm Jake Richings. Uh, All of my work is about engaging Gen Z in their future careers in education. Um, So what that means is I freelance running workshops at schools about finding careers you love. Uh, I advise careers and education brands on TikTok. I'm a partner of a social enterprise incubator, helping young people to start their own business. Um, So I do lots of different things, but all with that common theme of engaging people in their own education and their own careers. So we spoke off air a while ago um, and you mentioned three terms which I thought were interesting and what you kind of specialise in and they're people, path and purpose. Do you want to kind of go into a bit more detail about what, what you mean by that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, so to give you a bit of context, like when I left school, I had no idea what I wanted to do um, with, with my life, kind of let alone my career. Um, and I, I wasn't engaged in my own future. I I was looking for work, but there was nothing that looked interesting. And I was unemployed um, for a long period of time. And I found, you know, in some seven years since then, that one of the big barriers is not knowing what I want to do with my work. Um, Because when you don't know, there's not a lot that you want to try, if that makes sense. Um, If you don't know the path you want to take, it's very difficult to actually do something. And I've come to learn through partly through my own experience, partly through the um, fantastic teachers that I work alongside and, and young entrepreneurs as well, that there are three trends that seem to go across everyone that's really engaged in their education or with their career. And that's people, path and purpose. Um, so I'll, I'll briefly go over each of them. But if you want to deep dive into any of them further, we can. Um, people is about those that you look up to, those that you surround yourself with um, and those that you learn from. Um, So for some of us, this might be really successful people that we watch on YouTube or read books from. Uh, They might be our group of friends that inspire us to do things differently in our career. Uh, It could be a teacher that you look up to and want to be like, and maybe they're your favourite teacher. If you have those positive people, then you become more engaged in your career. If you don't have them, you're likely to be less engaged. And I certainly found leaving school that there was no one that was within reach that did work that I was interested in, that I could learn from. Uh, and know people that I aspired to be like. So that's people. 
path is about the steps you can take, the experiences you could do to give you more experience and skills. So I use the example of like, I have previously coached a football team, a youth football team. From that, I didn't realise that, you know, I want to be a professional football coach. Um, instead, that I was good at motivation. I enjoyed that. Most young people don't know what they're good at. They don't know what they like. And a lot of that comes down to lack of experience. But I find that when I speak to young people about things like work experience, that isn't something that people are naturally really interested in. So the path seems to be what are the experiences and opportunities you could take in a week, you know, today, this afternoon, that will help you understand what you're good at and what you enjoy. And then the last pillar um, that really helps people engage in their futures, um, education and work, is about purpose. And I don't mean purpose as this like almighty, you know, save the planet, climate change, social justice purpose, more so the individual motivators we all have. Um, So for example, the reason why one of my favourite subjects at school was maths had nothing to do with numbers. It was because I got to work on my own. The reason my favourite subject at school um, when I was in sixth form was business uh, wasn't anything to do with inflation. (laughs) Uh, it was more so that my teacher was really good so purpose is about understanding why we like what we like Uh, and when when we hear things like follow your passion it's never about the thing you're passionate about because young people were passionate about fifa and cars and you know hanging out with their friends but if we understand the reason why they like what they like do they like fifa because they're just really interested in developing young talent Are they interested in hanging out with their friends just to blow off steam? If we can find those reasons, we can better understand what motivates them in education and then at work and throughout their careers. Um, When we know what motivates us, it's easier to get that thing. When When we know the reason why we're motivated. It's really interesting you mention path um, and experience and skills and stuff like that and work experience. When I was just a bit of anec- a bit of an anecdote about me, um, when I was writing my personal statement for university, um, I was applying for a French and international business course at Manchester. Um, I realised I needed some work experience, so I actually found a, a company on TikTok, Wing, um, which I, I now continue to work for, and I messaged the CEO. Um, on on Instagram, I sent him a DM and said, "Look, can I get three weeks work experience?" I never actually expected that. What a year, a year and a few months later, I'd still be working for them, have equity in the company, and be the business development manager. I mean, it's it's kind of crazy, and I never actually expected that I'd I'd find I'd find this passion in business. Since then, I've launched my own company, um, and yeah, it's, it's right. I think work experience sometimes the reason why um, young people aren't so motivated by it is because at the moment there's a big um, there's a big emphasis on, on money and financials. And if you're not getting paid for work experience, I think it can potentially put off young people. Um, but I think in terms of getting really valuable skills, which I've got in, in my experience, I think it's so important. Yeah, and that's right. It's, it's interesting you mentioned in that order as well, because you didn't go into it thinking, I'd like to be business development manager one day for this company, therefore I'll apply. Instead, the path is never about the destination. It is just about the path and you'll end up where you end up. So that for you is like, okay, what's one thing I could do today or this week? Oh, well, I could apply and just, you know, reach out to them, send a message, see what happens. Um, And that has led to one thing. It's led to another thing and led to another thing. Um, And now you're in a position where you know what you're passionate about. You know what you like. That is through experience and opportunities. 
And with work experience, I feel like we need to have a bit of a shift, like you said, because it's not about money. It needs to be a shift to, okay, here's one thing you can do to find work that you love. This work experience doesn't have to be the be all and end all. This doesn't have to be, you have to choose your forever career and do it for one week for free right now. Um, when I did my work experience, I was interested in music. So I, I managed to get a spot at a recording studio. And I remember after I did that, I was feeling almost a little bit disheartened because I'd always thought at school that music was going to be my thing. That was going to be my dream career. And after working in a recording studio, I was like, eh, that's not really what I want to do for the rest of my life. And that sort of took away the, the passion from it. Because I wasn't at that age thinking about the path or next steps. I was thinking about the end goal. Um, and so path is always about turning ideas into action. Um, and it sounds like you've done just that when you had an idea of, uh, I could do some work experience. That has since led you to having work that you love, even though you didn't go into it with the intention of, oh, I really want to have equity in this company or really want to be their business development manager. No, you're right. Um, so kind of the the main part of this episode I wanted to speak and, and and discuss some posts you made on LinkedIn so there's there's two that that I found which I think are really interesting so I'm just going to read them out networking needs a rebrand to engage more young people for most young people myself included networking is scary and difficult the idea of speaking with strangers that are 20 30 or 40 years older than me about the type of work I do or would like to do makes me anxious because most of my work is around Gen Z engagement, I think we should change the approach so that networking, or a word thereof, means a conversation with someone. So what do you mean by thinking that networking needs a rebrand? So I think this all comes under people uh, as a topic of engaging young people. Networking as a word, or even just as an idea, is scary for a lot of young people. If I were to go into a school, which I do often, and suggest to young people they should do networking, I would not get a good response. I would be eaten alive. Because let's face it, I mean, for anyone that is a young person or has young kids or young employees, things like picking up the phone are sometimes make you anxious. Um, speaking to someone you don't know about things like your future career is scary. Um, and this is like a generational thing in many respects because we've not had to do it. We've also grown up in a world of online Um but networking as a term is putting people off when in reality, the doing it, doing um, networking, meeting new people, having those conversations is so valuable, not only to your own future career, but also your engagement with your career. I'll give you a real world example. When I was looking um, for work that I love, I used to have a role where I ran a customer service team, but it wasn't what I wanted to do, but I had no idea what I'd rather do. And I remember thinking, you know, I've, I've done some work with young people. Maybe a teacher is my dream career. I don't know anyone that's a teacher. I'm not close with anyone from school. So I mentioned to my parents, I was like, do you guys know anyone that's a teacher? And they knew someone. I remember having conversations with my friends and they said, oh, you know, our neighbor's a teacher. Okay, so that's, it, it got to the point where I think I had four conversations with people that were teachers that had something in common with me. They lived in the same close. They knew my parents. I was friends with their son, something like that. And I had conversations saying, like, what is being a teacher like? What's good about it? What's the biggest challenge? Because I wanted to know whether that could be the right thing for me. I wanted to know if there was an opportunity for me to find career, opportunity for me to find work that I love there. 
I never knew that was called networking. I just did it because I felt like I could learn a lot from these people. Flash forward a couple of years when I'm starting my own business and I have to do networking. I see people posting about networking all of the time. And I don't know anyone in the industry of public speaking. I don't know anyone that does TikTok for a living. But because I hear all about networking, the idea of going into a room with like 30 other people and them saying, what do you do? And me saying something like, oh, I'm kind of starting my own business. Like that really put me off. And it was almost like six months after starting my own business that I had my first conversation with someone about what they did because we had something in common. So the point I'm trying to make is that networking is almost like this um, brand now that we have over conversations. People call it networking. Everyone in the professional space, especially on LinkedIn, knows that as networking. But young people don't yet recognize that as networking. They know it as conversations, which is easier than saying networking. They recognize it as having a chat with their neighbor or their mum's colleague about what they do for work or what I'd like to do for work. And I think we're putting an artificial barrier up to make it more difficult for young people by calling it networking, by making it seem like it's only large events, only strangers, only people with like highly aspirational careers or completely different careers, rather than thinking, actually, it's more about people that you've got something in common with that you might be able to learn something from and maybe they can learn something from you. It's interesting when you mentioned about networking being scary. Um, <laughs> I went to my first networking event when I was 17. Um, there was nobody there who was anywhere close to my age group. Um, I remember it was in Canary Wharf. I drove up there. Um, I parked my car and I walked to the venue and I looked inside and it was full of people who were much, much older than me. And I actually turned around and walked away and thought to myself, this is genuinely petrifying. Um, I actually, I spoke to my friends and they were like, Sam, you're so confident. You know, this is like, this is your thing. So I turned around and, and went back in and I made so many valuable connections from that one event. And I think it's over, it's about getting over that fear because it, it really is intimidating walking into a room full of complete strangers and introducing yourself. And also it can also be super awkward um, when you say um, what you do and they do the, ah, which actually means they're not interested. Mm -hmm. um, I found um but yeah it, it is scary and i think networking especially when we've got a new generation of professionals coming in for example my age group who are coming out of sixth form and, and university in a few years time um who are networking especially when you're working in a client-based industry networking is really really important and it's something we're going to need to get to grips with i had a question about about linkedin for you so linkedin is is a, a networking platform as I see it, it's digital networking and virtual networking. Do you think the, the, the mass adoption of LinkedIn um, for young professionals is making it harder to network in person? The, the mass adoption of LinkedIn and the fact for the last two years we've only been able to do stuff online means that it's easier than it's ever been to network online. Because it's easier than it's ever been, the bar is a lot lower. Um, and I feel like there are sometimes questionable online calls or networking events where you're like, I really just should not be here. Um, so I think I'd, I'd probably su suggest the opposite and say that the value of in-person networking has now gone up because it's less common. Um, and because it's easier than it's ever been to put on online networking, 
that means I've, I've felt like the quality of in-person networking has gone up, um, which you could argue means that there's less in-person networking opportunities because you can do things so easily online now. I think the one challenge we've got sort of tying into the, the networking bit I mentioned earlier is that for young professionals that are on LinkedIn, um, you, yourself included by the sounds of the, the story and you networking as well, it's like you, you recognize this as something you should be doing. And then it's about overcoming that fear or the, the anxiety of trying to do this. But I think there's many people um, that, for example, aren't on LinkedIn because they're not interested. Many people that at 17 aren't that bothered about their future career. And so this barrier of like networking as an event, even if it's in person or online, it's just a case of, oh, I'm not really that interested in doing it anyway. The fact that it's scary means I'm even less likely to do it. So I think it's really important that we just assess, okay, where are the barriers? Yes, it's easier than it's ever been to do online networking, but also most people have had enough of online networking and online events and talks. Um, so when things are in person, it's about making sure the quality is higher. And that can be many different things. For young people like yourself, it can just be having other young people in the room, other people that look like you, sound like you, do similar work to you, having a, a feeling that when you describe your work, um, which might be a little bit different, you don't get that feeling that other people are patronising you because they don't want to work with you or because they don't actually understand what you do. Um, I feel like in general, it's easier than it's ever been to do virtual networking, which means that the the best in-person events are now standing out. With my events company, part of what I'm doing is creating a safe space or an environment for young people to network in the best way possible. We're doing networking a bit differently. And I think it's actually building on the principles that we've spoken on today, which is really interesting that you bring them up. In terms of in-person networking, you mentioned some issues with it. What do you think are the, the main pain points with in-person networking with regards to young people at the moment? So the first one that comes to mind immediately is um, barrier to entry. And, and there can be several of them. One of them could be, okay, if there's in-person networking going on in the middle of a major city, I'm less likely to go there because I don't like major cities. Um, if there's a price point to it, which there less often is online, not always, if there's a price point that might make it difficult. If it's in the week, that might make it difficult for people that have schooling or full-time jobs. So these are, are some examples of um, full uh, in-person networking that means that they're more difficult than virtual networking, for an example. Um, the other thing is not... What's the best way to put it? The other thing is the engagement with these events that are in person is almost all or nothing. If I do a virtual event and halfway through I don't think it's very good, I can turn off my camera, say that you know someone's at the door and quietly you know shuffle out of there. That's harder to do in person. If I'm on a virtual call and I'm feeling really drained, I'm feeling my energy is just zapped, I can turn off my webcam and I don't have to engage with eye contact with a lens. I can't do that in person. And like you said as well, when you turn up to this event, it's very difficult when you're at the door and you've committed and you've driven all the way there to look in and say, actually, I don't know if this is my kind of event, even though it was something very positive for you. Virtually, it's easier to do that. Um, and so I think in-person is almost like a, an extra step up um, for young people. If you've never done networking before, going in-person is almost like the 
making it doubly hard. Virtual networking is, like I say, easier than it's ever been. And it's also more accessible to many people. If you're doing things in person as a first step for young people, you've either got to hope that young person is really engaged in their career, like yourself, where you can go to it, look it and say, oh, these people aren't like me, but I'm going to go for it anyway. The challenge is that I suppose a lot of young people aren't like that. They might get there, see it's not for them and turn away and not come back. They might check the guest list beforehand and see, oh, there's not actually anyone that looks like me or sounds like me and not go. They might say, none of these people look like they've got jobs I'm that interested in connecting with and not go. So I think there's more challenges with in-person networking, but it also depends on the type of young people you're looking to engage. If you're looking to engage young people that have never been to networking events before, in-person is going to be a lot harder. If you're trying to connect with young people like yourself that have maybe been to networking events and don't have anyone there that looks like them, I think that's that's going to be easier because I'm seeing, and in fact, I had a conversation last night with some friends about this. There don't seem to be many groups for young professionals, young entrepreneurs, just to meet up and have a chat. A lot of them feel like you're trying to win business from them or you go to it and there's actually a lot of people older than you um, where you don't really want to have those conversations or, like I said, you feel patronised for being a young person uh, and you hear that, oh, well done. When I was your age, I was doing, yeah, okay, thanks. <laughs> so I think it's, firstly, it depends on the audience, but I think there's a lot more barriers for in-person than there are virtual. Um, it's interesting, again, circling back to the thing that, the, the, the point that everybody's different to you when you go to a networking event. I actually found that it worked to my advantage. Everybody was wanting to come up to me because there I was in a room with, people who were 35 years older and more um and you know i was 17 um in my first year of of a levels and um i was here representing wing um the digital business card uh contactless business card uh company and um you know, everyone was really, really excited to chat to me and i, I as i said earlier i forged valuable connections so actually i think age um can actually be really good for opening doors at networking events because you're really unique and you're in a room full of 35 40 50 year olds and you're in there and you're 17 and people are actually really genuinely impressed and want to make connections with you yeah that's right and and to be fair i feel like most of the networking events i've been to the people have been not only very interested in what i do um but also very supportive of that uh, I think when you see a young person um, sort of on their own that's gone out of their way to go to a networking event, I've found that most people are really, really helpful, whether it's, oh, I know someone that you need to know, and then they give you their contact details, or talking about some ways you might collaborate. I feel like those valuable connections have um, been really, really, really useful. Um, so I, I definitely agree with what you're saying there, like you stand out as a young person. But I feel like in many ways, um, again, depends on the type of person you are, but standing out at a network event might not be um, your thing, might not be what's comfortable for you. Yeah, you're right, actually. So I know, for example, that... Um, so yeah, for example, I, I'm an introvert. Whilst I can get up on stage and do big talks in front of hundreds of people, um, when it comes to these sort of like intimate um, conversations... I like just having like a couple of people around to have a chat. Um, so I'm more comfortable doing that. When it comes to networking, I don't really like big events. 
I don't like it when we have to stand in a circle and you know say what we do. Um, I certainly don't like it when I, I say, for example, oh, I advise on TikTok and get an audible. Ooh, you know, that to me is just like, <laughs> oh, oh, I shouldn't have said that. Um, yeah, definitely. So it, it kind of depends on what sort of person you are. And I think this is why it would be more valuable to young people if there was a group where people are similar because, okay, you don't have that difference now of you being a young person if everyone around you is a young person. Um, which means that you're connecting with people, still having those valuable connections, but you don't feel like you stick out like a sore thumb. Um, and whilst there's an advantage, obviously, of standing out in networking, if there's 50 people in the room and they all want to chat with you, um, that can be great. But for many people, that also adds to the the fear. You know, what if they all look at me? What if they're all listening to what I have to say? Um, which is a worry, again, for a lot of people that aren't used to networking or aren't um, used to going to events like this at the future forward event in warwick we met edward lawrence who's probably one of the most talented young entrepreneurs i know he was on the episode before last um and he's super super talented also you spoke about there's no group for young entrepreneurs edward is actually starting that with venture house club so he's actually picks on that um that niche and that feeling that lots of young entrepreneurs feel um, that there isn't a, an environment for them to discuss, you know, business with each other. In terms of the young entrepreneurs that you've worked with, are there any common traits that make them successful? Hmm, good question. So yeah, I think you're you're right in that the, the good thing about entrepreneurs is when we think, ah, oh, there's no group like this for us. We don't sit and wait around. They just kind of get it done. So it's it's good to hear that Edward's done that. And like I said, I know a couple of friends as well that are are exploring this because we're like oh it doesn't exist oh let's make it you know let's just do it and i found that community is so important with things like entrepreneurship or self-employment because you don't necessarily have colleagues to bounce things off there's lots of ideas going around in your head that you're trying to work out sometimes you just need a sounding board um, but the one thing to sort of circle back that i feel like most entrepreneurs or individuals don't have to be entrepreneurs with an entrepreneurial spirit do is turning ideas into action um, quickly and effectively. So what does that mean? Um, I have uh, I have a, a white book in my room, white paper book, where every time I have an idea, I write it down. Now, there's nothing special about any of these ideas. Most people have ideas. And I'll be honest with you, Sam, most of those ideas I have are rubbish. Um, but the most important thing is always, what is something I could do this week? What is something I could do today to get that idea turned into some kind of action? Because often we leave ideas up in our head. We think, oh, that would be cool. And then we never do anything with it. We think, oh, that would be an interesting thing to make. But, you know, life gets in the way. Um, or, oh, that would be a really cool group if that existed. But, oh, actually, I'm just really busy. Entrepreneurs are the people that make those things happen. And that usually starts really, really small. So that might be Edward saying, oh, I really wish there was a group of other young entrepreneurs. I'm going to message all young entrepreneurs I know and ask them if they have the same problem. Okay, they do. Oh, okay, this is interesting. Maybe something's going to happen. Um, my work with Ethos VO, with young, uh, young people that want to start their own business as well, it's about turning ideas into action. Okay, you've got this great idea for something you want to set up. Okay, who's one person you could speak to this week that might be able to help you with that? What's one thing you could do 
today, this evening, that's going to help you turn that into action. And I find that entrepreneurs or people with that entrepreneurial spirit have almost got in a habit of when I have an idea, what can I do about it? Um, Because often like there's nothing in place. No one's going to force you to do that idea. Um, No one's going to hold you accountable to it. But entrepreneurs and, and those with that spirit make things happen from ideas. Yeah, I mean, I uh, I have a similar um, process. If I have an idea, I chuck it in the notes section on, on my uh, phone. And I have lots of ideas, especially with Wing. You know, I th- think of new sales channels or marketing strategies we could use, and I, I, ch- I write those down really, really quickly. Um, I also find that lots of my ideas are generated from books. I know we live in the internet age, but actually I think business books is is are super super valuable i'm reading something called the kremlin school of negotiation at the moment um which is really helping me in negotiation if i'm doing b2b uh sales deals and stuff like that um i also read like um you know those books which are like um french for dummies or something you know the ones i'm talking about yeah yeah, i read one on direct marketing for dummies and i had so many great ideas of marketing strategies from that so i track them all in the notes um we're currently employing them at the moment hmm. um but yeah i think the the um value in like writing down your ideas before you forget them i also find i don't know about you but most of my ideas come while i'm sleeping in bed um <laughs> so the, my phone's always next to me in case i have a I have a really good idea um also even meeting you at the conference um you did a lot of speaking and, and the stuff you said was, was really interesting and really valuable, especially in terms of education. Um, I would class myself as an extrovert, um, but public speaking, historically, um, especially at that networking event where I did actually present wing to the group of investors, entrepreneurs, and professionals that were there, I really, really do get really freaked out by public speaking. And it's something that does quite scares me a bit i've kind of got over that fear now but that was only through um exposure through flooding um flooding's basically where you get confronted by your fear all at once so that was definitely at the future forward conference where i kind of um went up on stage and um spoke about me and then and then presented the panel but afterwards i kind of got over that fear if you're a young entrepreneur who's scared about public speaking and you're not really sure the next steps to take without having to go up on stage and do public speaking as a way to kind of get over your fear. What would your tips be to make public speaking easier? Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting this because when I was starting out speaking, um, I remember one of the first talks I did, um, this was before I was self-employed, but I remember being stood next to a, a managing director and a finance director who I was speaking alongside. And them saying like, oh, are, you, "Are you nervous?" And I was like, "This is weird. I don't, I don't feel like I'm nervous, but there's something going on like in my chest." Um, and I feel like that was excitement, which I've come to learn is actually very similar to being nervous. Um, but in in my years of speaking, um, I, I say that as if I'm like really old. You know, I've been speaking maybe like five years now, um, professionally, uh, maybe a bit less than that actually. Um, but there's there's a couple things that have actually really, really helped. Um, and they're not the sort of things like, oh, just don't say um and ah and, you know, stuff like that. So one of them is about planning for the worst. I'll give you a real-world example. There will be times when you're on stage and you forget what you're going to say. That happens. Now, many people worry about that. It's like a fear, oh, what if I forget my lines? So I challenge them and say, yeah, what, what if you forget your lines? What will you do? 
what could you prepare in advance? So for me, whenever I go on stage, I have a piece of A4 paper with, I don't know, maybe about 20 bullet points, which is everything I need to cover or want to cover. I don't read it as I'm going on, but if I get to a point where I'm like, I don't really know where I'm going next, or I think I'm about to waffle, I will just stop speaking and just like walk to wherever that piece of paper is. And a lot of people will think like, oh, you can't just stop or whatever. Like if people are listening, they'll happily wait five seconds for you to, you know, gather your thoughts much more so than listening to you waffle for another three or four minutes. So when I say plan for the worst, it's like, yeah, what if PowerPoint crashes? What will you do about that? Because often we worry like, oh, what if PowerPoint crashes? Like you might have control over that or you might not, but you can prepare for that. If PowerPoint crashes, hey, I've got written down notes here that I can go off. I've got handouts that I can pass around. Um, if I forget my lines, I've got the script written down that I could use. Uh, if the person I'm speaking alongside forgets their lines, I could remind them. That's one thing that really helps me um, reduce some of that anxiety about speaking because there's so many things that could go wrong. It's like, well, just if you can prepare that little bit extra for them, you can minimise that anxiety. So that's one of them. Do you have any thoughts on, on that one? Yeah, I mean, I remember the first time I really spoke to a big group of people. There was a scheme at my school. We would help students who um, were facing mental health issues or bullying or had issues within the school. It was a really, really fantastic programme. And my school did a fantastic job putting that on. We had to apply as a mentor and we went through uh, like a year of training with safeguarding people and mental health people and people uh, like religious authorities. It was really, really well put on. Um, and I remember I had to present a presentation on empathy to all of the mentors. And um, I completely forgot that I had to do it. So she then said, oh, by the way, Sam, you're presenting your presentation on empathy, to which I went, oh, yeah, of course I am. And me being me, I just wrote, okay, I'm just going to say it. And I died. I died standing in front of everyone because I just had no idea what to say. And I panicked and it was terrible. And it was because I was just waffling and I was just waffling and I should have just stopped speaking. Um, but it was honestly awful. Public speaking when you haven't done it before was really, really scary. Since then, I've got a bit of a technique. So now the technique I use is, let's use the empathy as an example. You go up on stage and you've actually got no idea what to say. So the first thing you say is, hello, my name's Sam. Today I'm going to be presenting about empathy. The first thing I want to do is want to go around the group and getting your thoughts on empathy. And you speak to every single person Obviously, if it's a massive audience, then no, you've, you pick five or six people. There are about 30 people there, and we could, we could have run through it quickly if I did do that. And you build on their points that they give you. They basically spoon-feed you points to say. And it's a really good way, A, to get the audience involved, and B, not to literally die on the stage. Mm. Um, and that was something that my mum taught me, which I de if I'm ever you know, in that situation again, I would definitely use. Yeah, that's, that's like a, an interesting life jacket, isn't it? If, if you get in that situation where you're like, oh, and Sam's doing this great talk about, um, you know, socioeconomic politics or something, and you're like, uh, am I? Yeah, okay. You've got that life jacket that you can pull, but there's nothing better than having, you know, a boat beforehand if you've, if you've done that preparation. I think that's it for today. Um, thank you so much for coming on. It's been so interesting hearing from you all about public speaking, uh, your background, and also the issues with networking. Thank you so much for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me, Sam. It's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure speaking to you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Enterprising Gen Z podcast. 
If you have enjoyed it, please feel free to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening from. If you fancy checking out our socials, we're at Enterprising Gen Z Pod on Instagram and on TikTok, and our website is www.egzpod.com. I've actually just redone the entire site. Um, I did all the website development myself, um, and I'm actually super, super proud of how it's turned out. Um, so yeah, please go and check that out. I'm also going to be doing a giveaway on my Instagram at the end of September, so make sure you're following so you don't miss out on that. But yeah, if you did enjoy, please feel free to leave a review. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next week. Goodbye.